Hello, my name is Mark Gibson, and you're listening to the podcast version of the Chagask Signpost series, a weekly webinar that promotes and examines sustainability in Irish farming. So today we continue our discussions about hedgerows, uh, but from a slightly different perspective, and I'm delighted to be joined by Stuart Green, who is Senior Researcher in the Agribusiness and Spatial Analysis Unit in Chagask. Stuart, you're very welcome to our Signpost webinar. Thanks, Mark. Uh, and Pat Murphy, you're joining us from Wexford this morning. Pat, you're the uh, head of the Knowledge Transfer Programme in, on the environment side of things. How are you today? Great. Not a bother. Nice morning. Good, good, good. Yeah, it's not too bad here in Galway. It's, uh, it's dry at least. So Stuart, you're working in, on, in the whole area of remote, remote sensing um, and, and you know, viewing Ireland from a very different perspective. Could you tell us a little bit about the work that you're doing in the Spatial Analysis Unit? Yeah, we, we use um, satellites and drones uh, and aircraft to sort of view island from above uh, so we can map um, agricultural production, the agro-environment, uh, forestry. Uh, we're doing a lot of work around um, measuring grassland biomass, grass growth remotely from satellite, and on soil properties, things like soil drainage, uh, soil types and so on. But we've also done a lot of work over the years on hedgerows mapping and monitoring hedgerows. So that's what I hope to talk about today. Great. And Stuart, you also have a, a map of the month that you publish uh, from Chagas. Can you tell us a bit about that? Because uh, I know viewers might be interested in, in following uh, that series. It's, it's a fascinating uh, series of maps that you've created for Ireland. Yeah, so uh, so every month we, we, we dig up one of the maps that we produce. So as well as using the uh, satellites, we also do a lot of geography using GIS, Geographical Information Systems to make maps, because maps are really good at communicating ideas and knowledge. Uh, so once a month, we pick one we've produced that month, usually, or sometimes an older one from the archive. And we put up on the uh, on the Chagask uh, website, and we, we have a discussion around it and, and share it around. And it, it does get a lot of interest. People like maps. Yeah. Where's, where's the best place to, for people to find those? Uh, if you you can Google Chagask Map of the Month and it'll take you straight there to the uh, to the page on the Chagask website. But it's also put through Chagas social media. So if you're following the Chagas Twitter account or the Chagas Facebook page, it, it pops up there once more. Okay, so uh, Stuart, if I could ask you to to share your screen with us, and you're going to be talking to us about uh, well hedgerows in in general, uh, but also uh, about the the carbon sequestration. Uh, potential or that that potential measurement of of the the carbon sequestration side of things. Uh, just to remind people, if you'd like to ask Stuart a question, please do use the Q and A tab at the bottom of the screen, and uh, we will have a Q and A session after Stuart's presentation. So, Stuart, I'll hand over to you. Great, thanks, Mike. Okay, so uh, I'm Stuart Green, and what we're going to look at is how over the years hedgerows have been mapped and monitored in Ireland. Uh, we're going to go from the gold standard of, of putting boots on the ground and standing next to the hedgerow and taking measurements, and we're going to then look at more up-to-date techniques that give us overall maps for the country for the hedgerows. So, you know, why do we map hedgerows? Well, you know, if we, if we don't know what we have, it's hard to value it or put a value to it. Um, because we know from Hedgerow Week this week, I'm sure everyone watching understands that hedgerows are sort of foundation of the farm biodiversity. Uh, but they also play a massive role in controlling runoff and surface hydrology on the farm that's somewhat uh, underappreciated. 
but also more importantly in the last say decade their potential as being stores for carbon on the farm uh, and carbon sequestration in the context of the uh, emissions from Irish farming has grown more importantly so that's been one of our focus in, in mapping these hedgerows. Now the gold standard as I say is field mapping so this is going on the ground and Ireland's got a, a good history of doing this um, it's created through the Heritage Council uh, a formal appraisal system uh, that's sort of 70 pages long, uh, led by Neil Fuchs, who's done a lot of the county surveys. Uh, and uh, Neil is probably one of the, the most important people in terms of hedgerow appraisals and understanding of mapping of hedgerows. He's part of the Hedgerling Association. And what the system does is it gives you a way of measuring uh, not just the physical properties of the hedgerow, the length, the density, the number of plants and so on, but it looks at the botanics of the hedgerow, the, the plants, the animals that live there, um, looks at the history, the age of the hedgerows. So it's really, really detailed understanding of what's in a hedge. Uh, and you can't replace that with technology. You know, you need people on the ground to look at the, the hedgerows. But uh, it does take time. Uh, so there's maybe a dozen uh, counties have done uh, a survey. Um, this is where you you take every 10 square kilometres, you take one square kilometre in the top left-hand corner and you survey all the uh, hedgerows in that square kilometre. So you can imagine physically going to those places and doing those surveys, it takes a lot long time and the amount of detail that's collected uh, means it's it can be quite an expensive procedure because you're collecting data on the cover, the structure, the habitats and the plants. So if we can come up with a way of speeding up at least part of that process, and maybe instead of having a survey, having a complete wall-to-wall -wall map of at least where the hedgerows are, then those maps that are produced go a long way to support the detailed work that's done in the surveys. And the easiest way of doing it uh, to get some idea is, and everyone can do this, uh, the software is freely available online. You can do it on Google Earth if you want to. Uh, many farmers will be familiar with the idea of mapping their farms uh, digitally uh, from their, their cap payments. And, you know, it's, it's simple and quick to do, and you won't get much information. You'll get the length of the, the hedgerows. And if you click around the, the boundaries of the hedgerows, the borders, you'll get the area of the hedgerow. But it's, uh, it's a useful exercise to do. Uh, and it's, we've done it on the Chagas farms and it's been done on many other farms. And you know, you'll get some information there on the length of the hedgerow and the area of hedgerows on your farm or the area you're interested in. So this can be done quickly by, by, by anyone with a little bit of practice. There is another source of information on hedgerows from a European survey called Lucas. Uh, and this is, the Lucas survey is, uh, carried out in every European country every three years and what happens is that the surveyors they go to um, literally a spot on the ground every two kilometers uh, and they take a photograph of what's on the ground literally at their feet and then at the four cardinal points around but whilst they're there they also uh, look at, across a transect a line and they record um, features on that transect and one of the things they record are hedgerows uh, and whether it's a hedgerow, an unmanaged hedgerow or a stone wall and there you can you can see the sort of data we can get we can see the the managed 
Hedgerow's Court and Survey here on the east part of the country, unmanaged court around here, and then stone walls up in the limestone regions. But we tried uh, 15 years ago now uh, to produce a map of all the hedgerows and all the scrub and all the individual trees in the country. Uh, because whilst the forestry is captured in the inventory from the forest survey, the, the extent of the hedgerows and, the, um, and scrub was unknown at that point. So this was very much a first see. Uh, the, we, we used early technology uh, in looking at the um, color and texture of hedgerows on the available uh, aerial photography from the, from the Ordnance Survey. And we uh, trained the computer to recognize these things. So we can see here, here's the original photograph, the color photograph. And here is uh, the hedgerows and scrub picked out automatically in yellow. Uh, it was very provisional. Um, it didn't work very well in every part of the country due to the nature of the imagery that was captured. It was again, it was an early uh, stage appraisal, uh, but it gave us some figures. It gave us an idea that approximately 6% of the country was covered by hedgerows, scrub, tree lines, individual trees, uh, which was a, you know, it, it was a much bigger estimate than previous been, been made. Uh, hedgerows up to then had been thought of in terms of length rather than an area, but if you want to calculate things around carbon and volume, you need the area. But it has been used, uh, we've, we've used it, uh, it was part of our assessment of high nature value farmlands, uh, which we produced a couple of years ago, where we, we took a number of indicators and obviously hetero area as a percentage of farmland is a strong indicator of the nature value of the farmland. And so we were able to produce uh, this map here of uh, high nature value farmlands in Ireland. And also we looked at one of the issues um, that initially was a problem uh, in training the computer to recognize these objects was shadow, but also shadow is one of the reasons why um, hedgerows are uh, trimmed and cut. Uh, farmers want to reduce hedgerow. And we showed that uh, indeed throughout the course of the year at the, at the ends of the year, sort of uh, spring and winter, um, hedgerows, uh, say up in the northwest, they can they can cast a shadow over 10-15% of the field uh, for much of the day. Uh, so this is uh, an important consideration when we think about how we're going to manage hedgerows and why they may be cut or altered. But we understood that if we want to, to know more about the hedgerow, we, we have to recognize that they're, they're 3D objects, you know, they stand up in the ground. So a number of years ago, ourselves and uh, Kevin Black in FERS, we uh, did a project for the EPA where we use laser scanning. So we had a laser scanning is called LIDAR. Uh, and this is a, a laser that is mounted on an aircraft and it flies over an area and the laser continually shoots down uh, very high frequency pulses of laser. And the length of time it takes back, takes for the laser to, to reflect back to the uh, aircraft tells you something about the distance from the aircraft to the object that it's been reflected from, and therefore using some complicated uh, computing, you can calculate a 3D model of the landscape. So this is the sort of thing that we can get. Um, literally a 3D uh, model. Uh, this is high density. So this is a point, 10 points every meter, every square meter. So we get an awful lot of detail. 
And actually within the laser pulse and within the um, structures like hedgerows, what we find is that the, the laser doesn't bounce off the top of the hedgerow. Of course, the laser penetrates in the hedgerow. So we get a lot of information about the structure of the hedgerow uh, and the density and what the hedgerow is built on. So we can do things like here is a, a virtual cross section of a hedgerow from one of these laser scans. And we can see the, the bank and the ditch. And here we can see a, a denser hedgerow. And we looked at um, methods for um, converting that information into volume information. So we could say how much, you know, what volume did the hedgerow occupy? And then we used uh, existing models to estimate, well, if we know the volume of the hedgerow, we know the density of the hedgerow, we can then estimate how much carbon is in the hedgerow and how much carbon the hedgerow sequesters as it grows annually. Uh, now, this was an approximation uh, because there was no existing models of how much carbon is in a hedgerow. So essentially we had to pretend the hedgerows were tiny trees, which is not exactly right. Um, we'll talk at the end of the, uh, this morning on a, a new project from Chagas that's gonna improve these models. But when we, we, we did this uh, modeling, we estimated that uh, hedgerows would sequester, so if a typical mature hedgerow would sequester something on the region of uh, 1.9 tons of carbon per hectare per year, but with a, with a wide range uh, going from 0.6 to 3.2 as the upper limit. And, and this does fit with other work done in England and in uh, France, uh, where they found um, hedgerows sequester on the rates between one and two tons per hectare. Uh, so this is significant. And of course, if we were to uh, look at it um, in terms of our estimate of the area, we'd be looking at maybe um, 0.7 million tons of carbon. But um, it is only an estimate. And just to remind you that this range of say 1.9 tons is at the low end of the sort of emission ranges that Chagas Sustainability Reports um, put on Irish farming. So it's, it's, a, it's a low end sequestration rate per hectare compared to some of the emissions from some Irish farming systems. One of the issues with the uh, LIDAR is it's expensive. Uh, it was more expensive then, it's less expensive now, the more, the more the technology matures, the more data that's acquired, it gets less and less expensive. But so we, we did another project called Briar where we tried to use uh, another form of remote sensing. Uh, this is a radar satellite. So overhead going all the time are satellites, especially in the Sentinel Copernicus program uh, from the European Space Agency. But one of the issues in Ireland with satellites is of course, uh, most of the satellites can't see through cloud and it's cloudy a lot. Um, but there's a type of satellite called a radar satellite uh, which sends out pulses of microwaves uh, in the same way that the, the LIDAR sends out pulses of light. Uh, and these pulses of microwaves, they, um, they penetrate through cloud and they reflect back off the, the ground. So we tried using um, a satellite called TerraSAR-X, which has got very high resolution down to a few meters uh, to see if we could relate the strength of the signal that bounces back from the hedgerow with the density and therefore the carbon of the hedgerow. Um, 
Before we did that, we had to get some what we call ground truth. We had to get real measurements of hedgerow. Uh, and in this part of the project, we created a, a new method of surveying hedgerow for, uh, for structure in terms of height, width, volume, um, counting trees, counting um, gaps and so on. Uh, and this was done by Kevin Black and Furs. And this is using a drone uh, and just a normal drone, um, nothing, nothing fancy about it. Uh, and using what's known as photogrammetry, where you, when you fly the zone, the drone, the photographs are continually taken, so they overlap each other. And this overlap allows you to exploit the stereo effect so that we can build um, 3D models of, again, of the hedgerow. Now, they're not as good as the laser survey because these ones do actually just go over the top of the object it's looking at. So we can't penetrate into the laser, but it does allow us very quickly to survey an entire length of hedgerow and get uh, good information on the height, the width, and counting crowns and so on in the, in the hedgerows. So this is now a, a new standard, uh, and indeed it's going to be used uh, going forward in a new project I'll talk about in a few moments. So there's one of the uh, Terrasar uh, X images. In fact, it's a mosaic of a number of images. And uh, if anyone recognizes it, uh, there's Moore Park, China's uh, research center. And we can see that you can see the hedges very well. But in fact, what our study showed is that Irish hedges are so, uh, so dense and so packed with biomass that in fact, they, uh, they saturate the signal return from the, from the satellite. So you can't distinguish ranges of density because they're all too dense for the, the uh, radar to penetrate. They essentially kind of look like stone walls almost to the radar. But what we did show is that this technology uh, is really very good at spotting uh, hedgerow removal. Uh, so we get very different returns when we take a hedgerow away compared to where it, when it was present. So it does have a role to play in monitoring the national estate of, of hedgerows. Uh, we looked at lots of different methods to try and extract information. And we did uh, present some papers on using the, um, the radar signal to get at least the structure, say the height and, and the width. But ultimately, we went back to old techniques to look at some issues around changes over time. So we looked at samples of hedgerows from 1995, comparing them to 2015. Um, in a number of counties, and we we had a an estimate of in those twenty years, you can see an example of internal hedges being removed as part of a farm restructuring, and here we can see hedgerows being removed uh, as towns expand, and we found that between those twenty years, roughly three percent of the hedgerows in nineteen ninety five had been removed by the time we got to twenty fifteen. Uh, now, this doesn't take into account all the new hedgerow that was planted under gloss because that was sort of post, a lot of that's post 2015. And those new hedges would probably be too small to detect for a good number of years before they got mature. Um, anecdotally, as we surveyed the hedgerows, we, we found that there was periods where the hedgerow removal was being dominated by farm restructuring. But then obviously in the Celtic Tiger period, a lot of the hedgerows were being removed in road building, house building and town expansions. And we were able to um, estimate uh, the amount of uh, 
hedgerows in the country. Um, we looked at uh, unshared boundaries on farms. So these were uh, farm boundaries around um, roads, rivers, and so on. We looked at um, shared boundaries. These are boundaries farm. These are hedgerows between neighbours, and then internal farm boundaries. Uh, we we share we just we we broke it up in this way because uh, again. Um, Shared boundaries are the least likely hedgerows to be removed. Uh, good fences make good neighbours and so on. And again, roadside hedgerows and riverside hedgerows, they're very unlikely to be removed. So if any hedgerows are going to be restructured, it's going to be the internal ones. Um, and we found, we estimated overall 690,000 kilometres of hedgerow, which is an enormous uh, amount. Um, roughly broken up within half as an unshared boundary, 15% as a shared boundary, and the remainder as uh, internal farm boundaries. So that was where we got. So we had methods for estimating carbon, which we've used on our sample sites and uh, in other places. Uh, for instance, if you were listening last week, um, uh, we, we've heard about the, the surveys that were done in Douth. Um, we have methods for um, measuring the length of hedgerows uh, from the imagery. And so we can estimate the uh, total length of hedgerows in the country. Um, now, when we did that, what we looked at was this idea of boundary biomass, because uh, traditionally um, hedgerows have quite a tight sort of botanical definition. Uh, whereas we wanted to get all the biomass that's on the farm map, the field margins on the boundaries because that's significant in terms of carbon. So this is all the hedgerows, but it's all the, the relic hedgerows, it's, it's all the overgrown banks, it's trees, tree lines, uh, it's hedgerows alongside forest parcels, which typically wouldn't be counted as hedgerows. Um, so we get everything that's sort of a woody biomass on the boundary of, of, a, of, of a field. So in order to improve our estimates of um, carbon, um, our colleagues in uh, Johnstown Castle, along with, again, with FERS, uh, have an EPA-funded project called Farm Carbon, uh, run by uh, Lillian O'Sullivan, and they are building special models of how much carbon exactly is stored in traditional um, Irish hedgerows. So they'll be measuring the carbon that we caught, cutting down some, some, um, some hedgerows to, to weigh them and, and burn them and so on, and They'll be looking at uh, the amount of carbon that's collected in the litter. Uh, so we've got a really, really good specific model for Irish hedgerows. So therefore, when we come to do a, a new survey of the, uh, the volume and the height and the structure of Irish hedgerows, we can use those figures and the data from this study to give really good, accurate estimates of the sequestration potential of hedgerows. But as just as importantly, the carbon that's stored in the hedgerow, but also stored underground in the bank of the hedgerow. Uh, and then in order to turn that into uh, a national estimate of all the carbon, uh, excitingly, there's a new product uh, that Chagas has been involved in the development of from the Ordnance Survey and the EPA. And this is finally a new national land cover map. Uh, and this is gonna be available uh, probably mid 
next year, uh, sort of uh, June 2021. And this is every uh, field, everything in the in the Irish countryside will have a label of what it is. So it'll be improved grassland, wet grassland, uh, waters, roads, buildings, forests, young forests, and excitingly hedgerows are included. So using the sort of techniques that we used uh, 15 years ago, but uh, in a new machine learning environment um, and exploiting the ordnance surveys, what they call the photogrammetic point cloud. So this is, uh, these are a, a sort of 3D information. The system can automatically, very accurately delineate hedgerows. So we can get the area of the hedgerow and we've got some information on the height of the hedgerow from those two and from the models that Lillian will producing. We'll get extremely good um, models of total amount of carbon stored in Irish hedgerows. Uh, there's an example of sort of thing that the map uh, will finally look like in terms of uh, a seamless coverage. So, you know, in 2021, you know, our hedgerows are probably valued more than ever. Um, and we're finally going to have in place from 2021, we're going to have a way of measuring and monitoring all hedgerows. Uh, so we'll have accurate maps of where the hedgerows are now. Uh, the national survey will be, the national uh, land cover map will be updated every three years. And we're going to then be looking at uh, estimates of carbon in hedgerows from Lillian's project. And we can now automatically map changes, uh, planting of new hedgerows, removal of old hedgerows, and we can look at the management of the hedgerows. And hopefully there'll be projects in the future where we can show what's the best way to manage a hedgerow uh, in terms of improving its carbon store. Uh, and this is, you know, how do you allow it to grow? How do you uh, manage it and trim it? What do you do with the, the cuttings? Um, so, uh, you know, I can see a point in the future where we'll be managing hedgerows, not just for biomass, not just to be stock-proof fences, but to improve their, their carbon storage. And this can all be monitored remotely and automatically using satellites. Okay, that's me done. That's great, Stuart. Thanks very much Slide. for that. That was, uh, I suppose, a, a totally different perspective that we're used to. Um, we're yeah. usually boots on the ground and uh, I suppose remote sensing has, has offered a lot in terms of, I suppose, hedgerow mapping, but also I know uh, I have some involvement in the soil mapping project as well. So there was a lot of uh, GIS involved in that project also. Um, you talked about LIDAR, Stuart, as yeah. sounded like the, the holy grail in terms of uh, mapping and getting that 3D image of, of yeah. the country. I mean, would it be a massive cost to, 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 to scan the entire country? Uh, it, it, it would be expensive. I mean, you know, in, again, not just doing it, but uh, licensing it. I mean, there are private companies that provide laser surveys, so you wouldn't want to kind of be taking the bread from their mouths in the sense of doing it for free. Uh, so there'd be licensing agreements and so on. But um, I do know that in the north of Ireland, they're about to produce a national laser survey of, of the whole six counties and make it available to uh, NGOs, third level colleges and researchers. So I think at some point we're going to realize that having a really good 3D model 
is probably really vital for the country in terms, not just for hedgerows, but really important for things like runoff and hydrology and, and uh, planning and so on. So I think, I think, I think we're, we're, we're going to get there at some point. It'll be a good while. If you, like. mm -hmm. you mentioned that the challenges with uh, the Irish uh, climate cloud being the, the biggest uh, uh, problem with aerial mapping and satellite mapping. Uh, I mean, how how far are we away are we from having satellites that will give the, the sort of resolution that we get with aerial photography that from uh, they, they 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 do exist um uh there's there's lots lots and lots of satellites so the best there's lots of free information from the european space agency but there are there are literally scores of private uh, companies that provide very high sort of meter resolution satellite imagery um the, the issue generally is that uh, the higher resolution you are, the smaller the image, so you need more of them to cover the area. And generally, they don't go over as frequently uh, because they're looking at a smaller area in terms of their orbit. So the chance of getting a, a cloud-free image for Ireland gets less. But now we have um, companies that are, are producing these sort of small microsatellites that are going over in a sort of like a train in orbit. Um, and they have so many of them, we get a high repeat rate. So again, your chances of getting a, a cloud-free image is, is much much higher than it was. But you'd be paying plenty of money for those high-resolution imagery. Mm -hmm. Whereas the free European Space Agency, 10-meter resolution, it, it does the job for most agriculture. Pastor, there's some uh, interesting questions coming through there for yeah. Stuart. So yeah, there's one here. Uh, can you use any of, of these mapping systems to compare from one year to the next to show areas that are, are maybe too overly zealous managed and thus aid advisors and farmers uh, to better management for pollinators and, and wildlife? Um, probably, probably year to year is, is, is not possible. For instance, the Ordnance Survey who produced the uh, aerial photography that the, uh, that's used in the land cover map they would be doing that every three or four years. So that's a sort of repeat cycle. If you are willing to buy one of these high resolution satellite images, uh, and anyone can, all you need is a credit card, um, you, can, you could easily do that. Uh, and that's what we did over five year cycles, looking at change. It's, it's one of the things, hedgerows are easy, quite easy to recognize from an aerial photography, just manually. And it's very easy to see when they've been removed. Uh, one here, do, does the predicted uh, carbon sequestration of the hedgerow take into account the removal of bur and burning of cuttings or what? Uh, no, so it wasn't done in a, in a full life cycle assessment, again, because we just didn't have the data. Uh, I'm not sure whether Lillian's project is, is going to a full life cycle again, um, but I do know there's work on the continent in Germany and France on what is the best way to manage the hedgerow in terms of improving its carbon sequestration. And one of those things is things like turning the cuttings into charcoal or composting them and burying them. Um, and that improves soil quality as well as sequestering that carbon that's taken off the cuttings. I do know that the work in England is, is kind of showing that um, if, you, if you want to improve carbon sequestration, you want to make your hedgerows wider rather than taller, interestingly. Okay, and a, a related one. Uh, hi, Stuart. Is there any significant difference between species of trees in, in sequestering carbon uh, for trees that are the same size and, and age, for instance, um, sequester more than, than ash? Or... 
I, 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 I don't know. Uh, it's, it's not, it's not my, my bailiwick, unfortunately. I, I, I point the instruments at them and then other people tell me what goes on in that sense. I presume, again, that's where the Lillian's type work on, yeah. on characterising will, 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 will come in. Yeah, uh, and uh, you do you have to treat the hedgerows differently to the trees. So in these models, what we tend to do is we we sort of virtually extract sort of individual trees that are growing in hedgerows and treat them differently to the hedge below. Uh, will hedgerows in in outer suburban areas be captured uh, by the new national land cover map? Uh, they they will. Yes. Um, what what might be there's a tiny difficulty I think in terms of uh, hedgerows in suburban gardens they may be captured as part of other uh, elements in the map uh, there's a minimum length for these things will be to be captured so uh, some some will somewhat. We have a question um, George um, in relation to the use of these type of technologies for actually maybe planning how we plant hedgerows uh, or indeed looking at the connectivity of hedgerows and the corridors that are created by hedgerows. Do you have any, any insights on that side of things and, and also around riparian zones and, and tree lines? Uh, certainly we had, um, there's, there's been work as sort of the network for nature principle uh, where, you, where you take these maps uh, and you allow them to, to run together the hedgerows and therefore you can look at the impact. Do, do hedgerows, if they join small pockets of scrub, does that make a bigger input impact than the pockets of scrub by themselves? Uh, so that work has been done and looked at uh, and it'll improve enormously when we get this new map in the middle of next year. Uh, in terms of runoff and repairing hedgerows, yeah, and this is where the laser, the LIDAR comes in because if you have... The, the, the 3D surface of the country. You can use models to show where runoff will be occurring and point source pollution. And therefore, if you're planning a new hedgerow, hedgerows are really good at intersecting that, that sort of runoff. So instead of, say, buffering an entire stream in your farm uh, and, and blocking the whole thing off, it might be possible just to plant sections of hedgerows to stop the runoff and, and send it into the ground. Sure, this is a, it's a, an area that is uh, changing very quickly. The science is really moving very fast in this whole area. I mean, casting our eyes uh, to 10 years time, I mean, what do you see the potential that this type of technology offers us uh, from an environmental monitoring perspective? Or, I mean, I'm sure, surely you have ideas, I'm sure, about future uses of these types of, of, of maps and, and remote sensing. Uh, yeah, I, I think, I think, um... It's you know we're, some of these things are always ten years away and may always remain ten years away, uh, but certainly we'll be looking at in terms of agriculture there'll be uh, you know routine or weekly uh, field scale maps of grass growth rates and crop growth rates. Um, they're all they're almost here. Um, um, they're nearly ready to roll out, uh, derived directly directly from satellite. Um, I know a lot of the um, a lot of the monitoring for things like uh, the bogs and for um, Natura 2000 will increasingly rely on satellite data. I know as well. I suspect that drones will become a bigger part, both on the farm for the farmer um, in terms of surveying the farm, especially around security and biosecurity. Uh, but also, I know I know the likes of EPA and the Parks and Wildlife are using drones to look at for fly tipping and things like that. So it, it, it becomes more and more embedded uh, in, in our sort of environment, I think. Okay. 
I just want to remind everybody that today's uh, presentation and, and webinar is brought to you as part of the overall activities that Chagisk is undertaking uh, as part of Hedro Week. So if anybody wants to find out a little bit more about all of the various different uh, elements of Hedro Week, you can go onto the Chagisk website and view all of the different uh, videos and articles that have been produced uh, each day this week. So there's a a treasure trove of, of uh, information there about hedgerows, all different aspects of hedgerows uh, from all different parts of the country. So I encourage anybody with an interest in, in hedgerows uh, to, to take a look at that. Uh, if you just go onto the Chagas homepage and go to, uh, just click on the, there is a, a very big link on the homepage there that uh, brings you to that, that information page. Sorry for interrupting Stuart, but just to, in case people uh, weren't aware of that. Uh, Pat, some, some uh, Lots of questions coming through there for Stuart. Yeah, I, I suppose a, a left field one. Is there any technical solutions available for he helping identify invasive species in hedgerows? Um, yes, we've actually, we have looked at that ourselves. Um, you can, you can do it. It depends on the species, depends on how they grow. So for instance, um, if you get the timing right, you may be looked, I know there's been examples of uh, Himalayan balsam has been picked out through the, the, when the blossom is showing. Um, knotweed as well can be detected in hedgerows if it's big enough, if it's underneath the hedgerow, obviously it's not possible to see. So it certainly is possible to, to look at invasive species uh, with, with this. Whether that, again, the cost benefit works, it's, it's up to the councils, I suppose, to decide. Uh, uh, the, um, a question there, I suppose, about uh, Chagas making available the maps that uh, are being developed uh, and, and to what degree uh, will they be available? Uh, well, with Chagas, the, 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 the land cover map is being produced by the Ordnance Survey. And so that will be available uh, under what's known as the National Mapping Agreement. Uh, so I think it will be visible on the, the, the Ordnance Survey GeoHive site. And then anyone covered by the National Mapping Agreement, local authorities, uh, research bodies, third levels, NGOs, and so on, they will get access to it. Uh, hedgerows within forestry, are they calculated as a part of the forest in relation, or is there kind of a, a dual counting of them? Uh, no, it's, well, I just mentioned the hedgerow in relation to forestry is because when they're, in terms of the definition of a hedgerow in, in terms of the botanics, it's sometimes, if it's growing next to a forest, it's not considered as a hedgehog or part of the forest. So it's, it's only, it's only a, 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 a definitional thing. It's not about whether it's accounted for in carbon. Just a question here, Stuart, in relation to the shadow effect that you talked about, um, and that a wide is better than a tall hedge. Have you any idea about the loss of productivity uh, in a field if the hedge is too high? Is that, that's a, uh, uh, no, we, there's, there's no formal measures, but as, as I said, um, it, it depends on the height of the hedge, it depends on the size of the field. Um, but I do know, anecdotally talking to people in the sort of the hedge laying and the hedge managing business, that one of the reasons you see very low hedges in tillage areas is because farmers are concerned about um, this uh, shadow effect. Um, but, you know, as, as, as we get increased... Um, sort of uh, biodiversity strips and tillage farms alongside hedgerow, I think that becomes less and less of, of an issue and maybe those hedges can be allowed to go back again. 
Uh, a question here, can uh, any of these systems aid in creating uh, a connected uh, or a network of corridors of, of hedgerows uh, or tree lines to aid biodiversity? So I suppose it's back to the planning side of, of trying to, to develop connectivity within the, the, the habitat that we have. Uh, absolutely. I mean, they can't, it can't be done automatically. I mean, that's a decision of, of the landowners who want to do this. But I think once you have, once these maps are available and people see just where the hedgerows are and how they connect to each other and what the impact of, you know, two hedgerows crossing, you know, what's going on in that corner of the field uh, and how much biomass is growing there. Uh, I think it will make uh, people being cooperative in terms of, say, planning small forests on their farms so they join up and connect i know there's some i know there's a project in donegal i think i can't remember the name of it where they're where they're looking at increasing the environmental impact of farm forestry by encouraging farmers to cooperate in, in terms of where they're placed on the farm in connection with the wider landscape um there's a, a question there in relation to the density of hedgerows, that if we do change our, our management, as, as I suppose the, the focus of what we're trying to do with Hedgerow Week is, is okay to add to the hedgerow bank a stock, uh, but also to change the management, allow for uh, um, uh, hedgerows to go taller, to, to be broader. Will we be able to pick that up in this kind of, uh, of analysis in, in terms of uh, uh, getting a, a sense, well, if we do manage this, we will be able to spot better management and, and then target better management, and also then to be able to count that uh, from a sequestration uh, perspective. Uh, the short answer is yes. I mean, it's, it's you do it maybe every three or five years. It's that sort of scale where you'd see the impact that's be measurable by looking at the aerial photographs of the satellite. But actually, that's the absolute intent of something like the Land Cover Mapping Programme is to show the area increase of hedgerows as, as we go forward. And to, there's a question there to what extent are you seeing reduction in the amounts of hedgerows across the, the landscape in, in, in recent years? Well, we've not had the data to look at it in recent years. So the last set of authors, uh, aerial photography we've access to is from 2015. Uh, so we, we, we don't really know what's going on. We know, we know that... Um, the department gives license to clear hedgerows. So we have those figures. And we know how many thousands of kilometers of hedgerows are planted under glass. Uh, but we, we, don't, we don't know where they are yet. Uh, so when we get access to the new sets of orthophotography, then we'll, we'll be able to have a, an estimate of, of what the increase is. And my, my gut feeling is that, um, that probably we've got a net increase in the last five years just because of the amount of stuff that's been planted under glass. Just as a short, uh, slightly aside to hedgerows, uh, Stuart, the whole area of water quality and water quality monitoring and, and, and monitoring the changes in water bodies. Are you aware of much work going on in that area? And you know, what, you know, because this is obviously a big, big issue for, for farming in Ireland is, is pointed as, as one of the uh, contributors to uh, uh, reduced water quality. Um, is, is, there, is there much work going on in terms of riparian zones and, and, and that, air, that type of work? Um, well, there's certainly a lot of work being done on the interface of farming and water quality. Um, there was a large project in, um, in Johnson Castle, uh, 
which looked at uh, the effect of buffering um, and stopping animals accessing water uh, for, for drinking and for crossing fields. So there's a lot of advice now based on that research on how you can keep animals out of the stream and away from the stream and the rivers. So that's, that's where the, the, the thrust of the research is. Um, there's been work done, as I say, on 3D modeling of point source pollution and critical source loads in, um, in catchments and on farms using laser scans. Uh, and so for, if you know that there's a, a spot in the field where the water is tending to run, surface water is tending to run into the, field, into the stream, you can do something about it at that point rather than just crudely applying buffers to the entire farm. Uh, and that's been done uh, under the catchments program, that research. And we showed in our own department, we showed that if you have um, a well, you know, a, a tightly managed sward, so you, you're, you're not, you're not uh, an improved grassland, then you can use um, everyday drones to get really good 3D models of your farm and they're good enough to, to see where the water is running off in your farm. So, so there is a lot of work done on that uh, in terms of um, water quality and farming. Sure, just uh, looking way ahead, do you think we could ever get to a point where uh, the, these information systems could actually be used to, to advise farmers to say, well, listen, this hedge could do it being trimmed. This hedge is, is okay to, to let it go for another while. Uh, there would be good uh, biodiversity uh, uh, um, impacts of filling in. I'm just saying, can we, is, is that a, a, a point in the future that, that we might get to, that we could really use this technology to, to uh, assist farmers in, 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 in management? Well, to some extent, it, it, it's being done. I mean, if, if you think, if you take it right down to the field scale, uh, more and more, as you know, Pat, that you know, farmers are interacting with authorities and with, uh, with advisors through photography. You know, they take their smartphone, take a photograph, uh, and, uh, you know, the, the advisor isn't visiting the farm, they're doing it remotely. So there's, so there's already examples of, you know, imagery being captured by the farmer on the farm, and then advisors saying, well, you know, do this and do that. So if you wanted to, in terms of hedgerow advice, and how to trim it. It's a simple job to take a photo for the farmer to take photographs of the hedgerows and get advice. Uh, if you want for the uh, to get this done remotely, again, it depends on how frequently this imagery is captured. But certainly, I could see every advisor, uh, both in the private sector and in Chagas, having the land cover map on their desktops. So when they're talking to a farmer on the phone, it pops up immediately into the farmer, so the advisor can see the whole farm in the image with the, with the elements labelled and, and therefore that brings on the discussion between the farmer and the advisor. Okay, question there, are, are stone walls the poor relation of hedges in, in the study? <laughs> uh, and, and, to, a little bit, uh, we did, we have studied stone walls and we always make the, the point that, um, you know, stone walls are as valuable in terms of say their biodiversity, obviously no role in carbon storage, but uh, in terms of biodiversity on the farm, and habitats for creatures like, you know, uh, nesting bees and so on. Uh, they're really important. So, uh, yeah, well, our, our focus was was habit was hedgerows because of the carbon, uh, but we don't forget the stones. 
uh, a, a question there. Have Chagas looked at, at native tree planting uh, in hedgerows as opposed to, to non-native? And that, again, may not be your area of expertise. And we might refer back to uh, Catherine's talk last week where she is absolutely passionate about uh, ensuring that, that we use uh, not only native species, but also native provenance, provenance in, in terms of the, 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 the uh, uh, production of the, the stock for, uh, for planting. So if any, to, to answer that question, I think maybe look at Catherine's presentation during the week and go back on some of the planting material that has been put up on the, on the website during, during the week. Uh, uh, to answer that, Mark. Okay. Um, right. Well, I think we're 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 coming close to the end of our uh, webinar this morning. Um, Stuart, I, I want to thank you for giving us excellent presentation. Um, you know this this area. I, I'd love to, if if you could come back to us maybe again in a, a little while because I mean there's so many different dimensions to this whole science of remote sensing. And obviously, it, it offers a lot in terms of uh, uh, of savings, rather than having to be ground truthing. And uh, I often have conversations with some of the uh, retired colleagues who were involved in some of the earlier mapping exercises, the soil mapping projects, which were hugely uh, resource intensive, and and going out uh, in fields and and look. I, I, a certain extent of that is still still is in place, but um, no, it's 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 a fascinating area. So um, thank you very much, Stuart and Pass. Thank you for your assistance today. Um, next week we'll be talking to Professor Alan Matthews, who's going to be talking to us about emerging trends in EU policy, CAP, uh, the Green Deal, Farm to Fork. And also, uh, I hope to have an opportunity to, to talk to Alan about uh, Brexit also. Um, if you'd like to receive updates on training opportunities, <coughs> latest publications and invitations to events from Chagas, I encourage you to sign up to the Chagas Connected program uh, for free today. And you can get a link to that uh, at the end of this uh, webinar. And finally, I'd like to thank our production team, in particular, Andy Boland, uh, Catherine Keena, Pat Murphy and Yvonne Maher. This is drawing a close to Hedgerow Week. Um, but as I said, there's lots of resources for you to avail of on the Chagas website. Just go into chagas.ie and uh, click on Hedgerow Week and it'll bring you to a huge um, library of videos, articles and updates on, on hedgerow planting and uh, management. Uh, so with that, I want to wish you well and uh, Hope you can join us for the final in our uh, series for 2020. And uh, we will be uh, recommencing the, the series back in, in January. Uh, we do apologize to those of you who were uh, inadvertently removed from our uh, registration process. Um, there was an issue that occurred with Zoom during the, the last two weeks, and we are still looking into that. Uh, but hopefully uh, you can encourage uh, other people to sign up for the series as well. So with that, uh, thank you for your attention and we will talk to you next week. You've been listening to the podcast version of the Chagask Signpost series, the weekly webinar that promotes and examines sustainability in Irish farming. Don't forget to join us live every Friday morning for our latest webinar. For more, visit chagask.ie. And you can also rate, review and subscribe to the Signpost series on Apple Podcasts, Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts from. I'm Mark Gibson and thanks for listening.